Lord, we bless you. We exalt you. You are our King of kings, our Lord and Master. Father, we thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding today that we would learn more about who you are. That we would experience the fullness of what you have for us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's make our confession. This is our year of jubilee. Wait a minute, you, you're running ahead of me now. I'm waiting for you and you're running ahead. Let's say it together. Ready? This is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now you can be seated. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. It says, And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. There's never been anything like this, they said. But the Pharisees said, He cast out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about their cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sick and every disease among the people. The last phrase there, healing every sickness and every disease among the people, that really means every kind of sickness and disease. It doesn't mean every individual because not every individual came to Jesus in faith. And so there were some people that failed to receive, but it wasn't because of God's um, failure or desire for somebody to be sick. Healing is available for every person. And we talked about this before, numerous times really. The Bible indicates to us, or has record for us, of 19 individual cases of healing in the four Gospels. Now that doesn't take into account the multitudes and uh, other groups of people that were healed. But there are 19 individual healing events that the Bible tells us about. And of those 19 individual cases of healing, a full 75% of those people were healed on their own faith. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So you've got a situation here in Matthew chapter 9 where people are remarking that they've never seen anything. There's never been any, any record in their history, the history of Israel, the children of Abraham, of anything like what they were witnessing with the healing ministry of Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the world couldn't contain the books. So that tells us that there were certainly other incidents or healing events that the Bible doesn't give us record of. Now knowing the character and the nature of God 
the reason we have the 19 individual cases that we do have is that they're an overview or a summary of all the healing ministry of Jesus. There may have been other, uh, I'm certain that there were other cases of healing that the four Gospels could have recorded, but they didn't. And the very fact that they didn't tells me that we have an accurate report or uh, example of how the healing ministry of Jesus worked. Now, there, since there were so many people that were healed on their own faith, we put the emphasis on having faith and exercising faith for your healing. And there are certainly many scriptures that the Bible indicates to us and records for us concerning the healing ministry of Jesus and the healing will of God the Father. In Psalm 107, verse 17, it says, Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Folks, if there's one thing that is identified as the cure for sickness and disease, it's the word of God. He sent his word and healed them. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So even Jesus experiencing and having uh, healing results to such a degree that people are marveling and saying that it's never been like this before, they recognized the unique condition that's taking place as Jesus was here on the earth ministering one to another. Now here where it says he sent his word and healed them, the Bible is identifying itself as being the cure for sickness and disease. Now since the Bible says he sent his word and healed them, it certainly stands to reason and we can conclude beyond any shadow of a doubt that healing comes from and is produced by faith in the word. Faith in God's word will produce healing for every sickness, every manner of sickness, every manner of disease. The Bible identifies itself as the number one way, means, of operation to receive healing from God the Father. Now, with the Bible telling us that healing is a result of the Word of God, healing is the byproduct of the Word of God being put in action, it would stand to reason that we would get the greatest success for healing for our bodies from the truth of God's Word. But it seems to me that people are trying to be healed in every other way other than the Word. The Bible doesn't say that, that prayer is the answer for healing. It says the Word of God is the answer. Now, if you pray the Word, then that will certainly bring about results that God wants you to have. But a lot of people are just looking for somebody to pray for them so that they don't have to do any work on their own. 
And they can just take a hold of God's blessing of healing through the faith of somebody else. That very rarely works. Now here the Bible is telling us in the Old Testament that faith in God's word works to bring about a healing and a cure from sickness and disease no matter what kind or type or manner of sickness it is. But Israel had a covenant with God that very simply stated if they would walk in his statutes and keep his commandments, he would take sickness away from the midst of them. You remember in Exodus chapter 15, after God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, he brought them across the Red Sea on dry land, and Pharaoh's army, when they chased in after them, was killed and destroyed because the waters came back together. After a few days, three days I believe it was, after that deliverance took place, it tells us that they came to a place where they couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. Now, we don't know if that bitter, that word bitter really means poisonous or just uh, bad tasting, but either way it would apply. The word that was used would apply either way. And so God told Moses to take a tree and cast it into the waters. And when he did, the waters came, the waters were healed, the scripture says. And they were able to drink the water. But God made a statute and an ordinance for them. He delivered an unchanging law to them. He identified himself. God is showing the people who he is and how he operates. And so he told them in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, if you keep my laws and walk in my statutes, then I will take sickness away from the midst of you, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. God identifies himself to Israel. The first name that he gives himself, the first way that he identifies himself to them is the God that healeth thee. I am the God that healeth thee. Well, folks, God never changes. God said of himself, I am God, I change not. The Bible tells us there's no variable in the either shadow of turning in him. So he's always the same. He never can change. So if he was the God that healeth thee in the Old Testament, he's the God that healeth thee in the New Testament. If he was the God that healeth thee back in Israel's history, then he has to be the God that heals us now. Now the Bible tells us, gives us examples of a lot of things where Israel repented of their sin and healing came to them. The Bible tells us about in Numbers chapter 16 when the sons of Korah, the Levites, stood up against Moses and Aaron and declared that they were just as holy and just as separated unto God as Moses was and Aaron as well, I guess. And the Bible tells us that because of their resistance or rebellion, against God's plan of using Moses as the leader, it tells us that they died a horrible death. There were 250 of them. The Bible says they were famous men of great renown. So they've got people that had served God according to God's plan and purpose, 
But now they're rebelling and standing against Moses and Aaron. So Moses says to the people, everybody's gathered together to see what's going to happen here, which side God's going to take. And so Moses says that if the people died a natural death, that wouldn't prove that God was with Moses. But if the earth opened up and swallowed them and then closed back up over them and took their life in that manner, then that would show that God had chosen Moses and Aaron and not these others to be his spokesman. Well, that's exactly what happened. The earth opened up and swallowed the 250 men and all the, the wives and children and all the stuff that they had gathered for themselves. It says that everybody ran, start running and ran from this terrible sight, terrible experience, this event that took place. But tomorrow, just one day later, the children of Israel came to Moses and complained because he had killed the sons of, the sons of Korah. And it started a plague. It manifested a plague that killed 14,700 people until an atonement, an atonement was made, a type of Jesus that brought deliverance to the people. Now, this was not, the plague was not sickness or disease. God didn't bring sickness and disease upon the people, even though they had sinned. This plague was just destruction that they had brought upon themselves because they failed to operate according to God's laws and statutes. The Bible also tells us about a story in Numbers chapter 21 where the children of Israel were discouraged because of the way. And so they began to speak against Moses and Aaron again. And in this case, it tells us that fiery serpents, which were indigenous to that land, the wilderness that they were walking around in, the fiery serpents came into the camp and bit a lot of the people, and a lot of the people died. And so Moses went before God. The people came and repented. First of all, they knew what the source of the problem was. They had spoken against Moses and Aaron. And so they came and repented. And then God told Moses to make a bronze serpent on a pole and to hold it up where everybody could see it. And it says those that beheld the serpent on the pole were healed from these poisonous snake bites. And again, in this case, the, the plague or the event was stayed or it came to an end. So in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, gives us clear instruction that walking in love or walking according to God's commandments is the way that healing was manifested to and for and upon the people. Now there's a, 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 pro, a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 4 that I want you to take a look at because it shows us what working, what standing on the word looks like. It defines for us what keeping God's commandments and walking in his statutes means. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear into my sayings. 
Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. This word health in verse 22 is the word medicine. My words are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Medicine to all their flesh. Again, it's telling us that the word of God is the answer to sickness and disease. Every sickness and every disease. Just like Jesus went about the cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching the good word of God and healing every sickness and every manner of sickness and disease among the people, it identifies that the word of God is powerful enough and that God is faithful to bring about healing from every sickness and every disease known to man. Now there's a verse, the next verse, verse 23, I'd like for you to look at. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word issues is the word boundary. Keep your heart with all diligence. Now what is he talking about keeping your heart? Well, he's talking about making the word of God first place. But he's also talking about exercising your faith. The Bible tells us that we can have what we say. Jesus described or defined faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So here where it's talking about keeping your heart with all diligence, it's talking about keeping the word first place, a place of most importance, and to speak according to the word rather than according to the circumstances. Keep thy heart with all diligence. I want you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 5. I want you to see something that I believe is the greatest illustration of what keeping your heart with all diligence is. Mark chapter 5 tells us about a man that came to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. Verse 21, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came to the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said... If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, they're saying everybody's touching you. How can you find one person when everybody is reaching in to, to touch you? 
And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus identifies that it was her faith that brought about healing to her body, healing for this issue of blood. We see that she believed the things that she heard about Jesus. She must have heard that he was healing the sick because that's what she came for and that's what she had faith for. So she believed that healing was not only taking place in and through Jesus, but that healing would be available to her if she simply touched his garment. Now, folks, if everybody in this scripture, this passage tells us that everybody that could get to Jesus was reaching out to touch him, what are they touching him for? They must have heard some of the same things that the woman with issue of blood had heard, that Jesus was healing the sick, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that this woman with issue of blood was not the only sick person in the crowd. If she was, it'd be the first crowd that there was only one sick person in, in Jesus' ministry. So you've got people that could have been in the same situation or maybe even more desperate situation. You could have people that were more greatly afflicted, the disease sickness and disease that they had might have been worse than hers they might have had less time left here on the earth because of that sickness and disease than she had there could have been any number of things that we could point out concerning the other people the potential for the other people that were in the crowd too but this woman is the only one that received anything Now, some of the modern church world would look at that and say that God, it wasn't God's will for anybody else to be healed in that crowd except for her. But God is no respecter of persons. God can't want one thing for you and want something else for me and still be an unchanging and all-sufficient God. Now, that doesn't apply to the things that we do in life or God's call or purpose for us, but when it comes to the things that belong to us, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He can't want good blessings for me and want you to be cursed. So you could have had people, a number of people, in dire situations or dire straits, just like this woman was. She's the only one that got anything from Jesus because she's the only one that the Bible identifies was operating in faith. It was very possible that if the situation had changed for the people in the crowd, that Jesus could have felt healing virtue going out of him, healing power leaving his body, being transferred into the hearts of the bodies of those that were touching him. But she's the only one that got anything. She's the only one that reached out in faith. Now remember Jairus has besought Jesus greatly to come down to his uh, minister to his daughter. And remember, he said she was at the point of death. So I think there's one person in this crowd 
that's wanting to hurry up and wanting to get Jesus on his way. And the woman with issue of blood is simply delaying what he probably thought was the time necessary to get Jesus to his house. The Bible tells us that while she was yet speaking, before she even finished what she had to say, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So Jairus now hears that his daughter has died. And the reasoning of the people that brought the word to him is there's no reason to, to trouble Jesus any further or take up any more of his time because it's too late. His daughter is dead. But notice how Jesus responded to this. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Folks, this is a good motto for your life. It would do all of us and serve all of us well if we took the position of making this a reality in our life. Be not afraid, only believe. Now notice what Jesus, the circumstances upon which Jesus is telling them that. It certainly seems too late by any standard. Too late to get any help. Too late to change the situation. Jairus is trying to get Jesus to his daughter, to his house, so he can minister to his daughter to bring her back from the point of death. To keep her from being killed or brought unto death because of this sickness or disease. And we don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us. And the reason for that is it doesn't matter what it was. Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus identifies the great conflict that takes place regarding the operation of faith. Jesus tells us that the prayer of faith in Mark eleven twenty four. he said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So the things that you pray for, in, case, in this case, the healing of Jairus' daughter, is such that he is required, Jairus is required, to believe that he receives healing on behalf of his daughter or for his daughter's sake before he can see the, the healing result. One of the things that we mentioned to you is in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21 where it tells us about the fiery serpents that come in because the people stood against Moses and Aaron. It says the people's dis heart was discouraged because of the way. In other words, the devil wants to bring trouble into your life so he can discourage you by the circumstances. Now, he had successfully discouraged the children of Israel 
because of the hardness of the, the road that they took, because the path that they were walking through the wilderness was not a pleasant trip or journey. But a couple of things to keep in mind there. One reason, one thing that they should have taken into account is the reason, the only reason that they're not in the promised land is because they rejected the promise of God, the words that God said about the land flowing with milk and honey. They weren't there because they had refused to operate in faith and take the land. That wasn't Moses and Aaron's problem or fault. They weren't the cause of this. The devil wants to use every circumstance possible to bring you to a place of discouragement because people that are discouraged are easily convinced to speak according to the circumstances rather than according to what God's word says. Now, Jairus has some, ex some extreme and terrible circumstances to deal with having heard that his daughter is dead. Jesus, however, says, be not afraid, only believe. In other words, remember Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. What's he going to do? Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, only believe. The Bible tells us, Paul told us in his letters to Timothy, that, that fear is a spirit. It says God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, fear, fear is a spirit, which means fear is a spiritual force. It's an issue of death. Again, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. If you're going to keep your heart with all diligence, realizing and recognizing that your words set the boundaries for your life, then there are things that you're going to have to make sure you don't say. There are circumstances and situations that we encounter and go through in this life that we're going to have to not speak according to, but instead speak the word of God. Jesus tells Jairus, be not afraid, don't yield to the spirit of fear, only believe. The Bible says we have the same spirit of faith as God had. We having the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore do we speak. So he's telling him. He's telling Jairus. Before Jairus has a chance to say a word. He's telling Jairus don't give in to the spirit of fear. Don't be discouraged because of the way. Don't be discouraged because of the bad report that you heard concerning your daughter. Only believe. That doesn't tell him to keep confessing. He doesn't tell him to pray a different way now. He doesn't tell him to engage in anything more than he's already done. He's just simply saying, don't turn loose of your faith. I wonder how many people have been in Jairus' situation Maybe not where physical healing is concerned, but in anything and everything that God has planned for their life. I wonder how many people have given in to the spirit of fear and failed to receive God's best 
just before it came. Be not afraid, only believe. We don't have any record that Jairus says anything else. It's not necessary for him to say anything else. He's already issued or released his faith to receive life and health for his daughter. Now, it certainly seems like it's too late for life to benefit his daughter. But Jesus continues the journey with him. Verse 37, and he suffered no man to follow him save except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel, damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talithi kuma, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded them that something should be given her to eat. Did Jairus know when he first came to Jesus and said, Master, my daughter lieth at home at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may live. Did he know that he had faith to resurrect the dead? It is his faith that resurrects the dead. It is his faith that he's issued or exercised or acted on that brought about the life of his daughter. Jesus doesn't tell him to do anything more than what he's already done when he hears the news that his daughter is dead. Jairus exercised resurrection from the dead faith when he came to Jesus and asked him for help. The spirit of faith was released. And that spirit of faith, which really comes down to believing that Jesus was healing the sick, that's all we know that he believed. We don't know that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't have any record that identifies to us that he saw Jesus as the Christ. He simply exercised his faith toward Jesus bringing his daughter out of this condition of sickness and disease, whatever it was. Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Like I said, that should be the best motto that we could have. Be not afraid, only believe. So here's a healing event that the Bible identifies the faith of the father as being the active agent that brought his daughter to, to healing and health. This is not the only way that Jesus ministered. 
It's the primary way that he did in ministering healing, that is. But there are other times that the Bible tells us about where the faith of the individual didn't take place. Well, we have no reason to expect or conclude that there was faith exercised on the part of the individual. One of these is in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Those five porches were shade structures of some type, lean-tos or something. Tradition tells us that there was a rich man that received healing from being dipped in the pool of Bethesda that honored God by building these lean-tos, these shade structures, to be of service to the people that needed them. It says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Folks, here's a, a case where Jesus is going to look for faith on the part of the individual and we'll read the rest of the story in a minute and let you see it. But the first thing I want you to see is look at the manifestation of God's power. You got Israel that by and large is walking completely divorced from the statutes and ordinances that God has created for them. You've got the Pharisees, which is the most rebellious group of people we have record of in the scripture every time Jesus does something to help somebody they're always worried about him doing it on the Sabbath day or doing something contrary to the law of Moses rather than being rather than rejoicing with the people that are healed but God who must be simply emphasizing his healing power, his healing mercy, causes an angel to go down at random times and stir the water. Now, I wonder how anybody found out about this. There's no prophet that comes to the people and says, see this pool of Bethesda? From this point forward, whenever the waters are troubled by the angel, the first one in gets healed. I wonder how it came about. Apparently somebody that was sick went to the waters and the troubling of the water identified their healing or the means and the method of their healing coming about. Now we don't know anything about when it's going to take place. If, for example, it was on the first Tuesday of every month, then that would be the only time that people would be gathered there for that purpose. 
But folks, it talks about five porches full of these, these people. It's got to be some number, some significant number of people that are there waiting for the water to be troubled. I would guess that the first time somebody was healed because of the troubling of the water, he would be the one, the agent, whereby he told other people how it happened. And I would imagine that he met with much resistance when he tried to tell the story of what had happened to him or how it worked. But in spite of the resistance, somebody must have given it another chance. Now, they don't have a numbering system like the post office for the next one to be served. And notice that there's no restrictions placed on who is available, who the healing power of God was available to receive. Doesn't say somebody had to be a Jew to be healed. It just tells us that, that there are five porches full of people who are laid there daily. I don't know if they went home when it got dark. There's nothing that tells us that it was only in daylight hours that the water was troubled by the angels. But what you do see here, or what I imagine to be, is desperation on the part of a lot of people. Whatever their symptoms, whatever their sickness, whatever their disease, these people alter their lives and center their lives around their presence or proximity to the pool of Bethesda. So there's this one man that's been there for 38 years. Right, he has, a, has an infirmity for 38 years. We don't know how long he's been there at the pool of Bethesda. When Jesus saw him lying, knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Why in the world does Jesus ask if the man will be made whole? What is he looking for? Well, he's searching for faith. He's looking for the man's attitude toward receiving healing because the angel troubled the water. I would imagine that Jesus is looking for faith because faith is such a necessary part of people receiving their healing in his ministry. 75% of the people that we have record of in the four gospels that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed on their own faith. So Jesus asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? His will seems to have something to do in this. The man's will, who's had this infirmity for 38 years, who has been laid at this place in Bethesda, this pool of Bethesda, we don't know how long, 
But there's something about his will that's important for healing to be manifest. This man is pretty discouraged. Apparently he's been there long enough to realize that when the water is first troubled, the first ripple of the water causes people to jump in from every direction. And only the first one got anything. So it's easy to identify who was who, the receivers versus the, the ones who didn't receive. So Jesus asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But after I, while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This indicates that this is not a rich man. If it was a rich man, he could have had somebody holding him right on the edge to put him in the water to help bring about his healing. But he doesn't have anybody, which may be an indication that other people that are there do have a man to put them in the water. The infinite man said, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed, and walk. Again, let me say it again. We don't know who this man was. We don't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know that the pool was restricted between Jews and Gentiles. I would imagine that even a Gentile, not knowing for sure whether it was for them, would still do his best to, get, to be the first one in the water. Again, I see desperation on the part of all these people. There is no orderly manner in which this is taking place this is just a free for all when the water is rippled so Jesus tells him to rise and walk we don't know what his condition is we don't know if he's been with this condition whatever it is for, for all of his life we just know that he's had it for 38 years so that could be from birth or it could be some injury or something that took place later after he was born into the earth. So he tells him, he tells the Pharisees, he that made me hold the same said unto me, take up your bed and walk. And they, and they asked him, what man is that which said unto thee, take, thy bed, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. He didn't know who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon him. Then the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Folks, that may be the worst possible reason to kill somebody that's ever recorded in human history.
But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now I want you to notice something about this. The very next thing that it tells us, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but whatsoever, what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and show him, show, showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Notice that Jesus immediately starts talking about the authority that he's operating in. The Pharisees are dissatisfied. I guess that's a conservative way to say it. They're dissatisfied with what he's done, healing on the Sabbath day to such a degree that they want to kill him. Here's this man that's bringing healing. He's been doing healing works all of his, uh, for all of his ministry. He's still pretty early on in his ministry. But he's healing the sick. He's casting out devils. He's setting people free. He's only doing good things. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is the good news that God wills for you to have everything on earth that you have in heaven. I think one of the greatest errors that the church has made over the thousands of years since Jesus was, was here on the earth is that they have the idea that God doesn't want good for you on the earth, but he's going to do good for you in heaven. How could God change or be different in what he wills for his people, whether they be here on earth or whether they be in heaven? He never changes. So how could he want something different for you here on the earth than he wants for you in heaven? The good, the gospel, which is the good news, is the truth that God wants his will done in your life here just like he wants in heaven. Jesus, in giving the disciples the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come so here's what the kingdom of God looks like thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so God couldn't want healing for you in heaven and not want healing for you here on the earth it's impossible and the good news is that God wants the same for you here as he wants for you in heaven now we know a little bit about what he's provided for us in heaven we know there's no sickness or disease there. So he doesn't want sickness and disease to be a hindrance to you here. God doesn't have a right to do away with all sickness and disease. Because it's a result of spiritual death that came upon man when Adam sinned. The devil has a right to be here, therefore. He didn't before the fall, but he does now. And sickness is part of the work that the devil engages in. And God cannot rightly, justly, righteously just do away with sickness and disease all at one fell swoop. Because Satan does have a right to be here 
and to put sickness and disease on people. But the word of God is given as the power of God to remove sickness and disease for all those that walk in the word. So Jesus says the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father do. Jesus is identifying that he's not the one that brought about the power, the healing power that caused this man to be made whole. If Jesus was operating on the earth as the son of God with the same power and authority he had in heaven before he came to the earth, then he can't be a proper substitute for man. We know that he was anointed by John in the Jordan River and that that brought about the beginning of his ministry. But if he's operating as the son of God in power that he had inherent before the creation of the world, then why would he need to be anointed? Who can anoint God? But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he laid aside his heavenly power and glory he became a, a man of no reputation. In other words, he didn't have healing power or any God-given power in and of himself. He emptied himself of the power that he had. Now, the Bible tells us in John chapter 17 that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, prayed for the church, his disciples and all those that would believe on him. Well, that's you and me. And he prayed that God would give us the power that he had before the creations of the world because he went to the Father, because he completed God's work on the cross. Well, that means he didn't have the power that was inherent in him before the creations of the world. When he was here on the earth, he was operating as a man. That's why he refers to himself 60 out of 65 times as the son of man not the son of God Jesus came to the earth to be a man to identify with you and me if he came to the earth as the son of God he wouldn't be identifying with anybody except God but if he came to the earth emptied of his heavenly power and glory and then received the spirit of God the manifestation of the Holy Ghost by being baptized then he's man with God's power so Jesus says that he doesn't have authority or power in and of himself but if he doesn't have the power of God in and of himself then how did this man be healed at the pool of Bethesda it's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost it's a manifestation of the spirit of God to conquer sickness and disease that held this one person in, bond in bondage and had held him in bondage for 38 years. There are some things that God will do on his own to identify his will and his mercy toward mankind. I want you to look at another example here in John chapter 9. 
verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now notice what the disciples know. There's a lot they don't know. But notice one thing that they knew. They knew that blindness and any and all sickness was sin-related. Now they're looking for the individual's sin that caused the problem. Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Well, how could the, the man have sinned before he was born? Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said neither one. He doesn't tell them they're wrong about sin being the source of sickness because sin is the source of sickness. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, for by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. In other words, he's saying one man's sin, Adam's sin, opened the door to sickness and disease and all of the other consequences of death, spiritual death, and it began to rule over mankind. Jesus answered and said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He's saying it's not the sin of the parents. It's not the sin of the individual. But whose sin caused the problem then? Adam's. Adam's sin is what opened the door to sickness and disease for this man and for every other man. So Jesus says, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Now notice in verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's where the translators changed verses. They picked the wrong spot. Jesus is simply saying it's not the individual or the parent's sin that brought about this condition of sick, uh, blindness that this man was born into. Then he talk, starts talking about something else. Now, the way that this verse can be interpreted and is most often interpreted is that Jesus is saying it's not sin on the part of the man or the parents that caused this man to be born blind. He was born blind so that I could work the works of God in him. Now, folks, if that's the case, if that's true, then God is not the God that the Bible says he is. If that's true, if he was born blind so that God could work the works of God in him or Jesus could work the works of God upon him, then that means God is not a respecter of persons. Because if he made this man blind so that he could work the works on him, then why would he make everybody blind? That way he could do even more works of God upon them. Jesus goes on to tell about the work that he is sent to do. After he answers the question, it's not this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused the problem, he tells them what he's going to do. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Now what is the work of God that he does? 
What is the work of God that Jesus says he was sent to do? Well, he heals this man from blindness. He ministers healing and sight to this man. Now, why does he do that? Does he do it because this man was born blind for this purpose? No, he does it because this man has been bound by sickness and disease all of his life. And God is merciful to, to deliver, to heal and deliver. So he says uh, that, the, but that the works of God should be made manifest in, sin, in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came again seeing. The, the neighbors therefore and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, Yeah, this is him. Others said, No, he's like him. But he answered and says, That's me. I am the one, the blind man that sat at the gate. Therefore they said unto him, How were thine eyes open? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And then it said unto him, Where is he? He said, I, am, I know not. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. Folks, I want to throw something out for you to consider. I believe that because God is merciful, that he's a healing God, he is the God that healeth us. I believe that in every service, every church service, every gathering, And every time that the people of God come together, God wants all of his people to be ministered to. That stands to reason that people receive different things on different levels. Two people sitting side by side will be affected differently by the words that we speak. Some will receive more because of their attention to the word and some would receive less but any sick person that comes into church I believe God wants them healed well why doesn't that take place every time we come then is it God's fault is it our fault We see that people were healed in Jesus' ministry on their own faith. And we see that people were healed in Jesus' ministry by manifestations of the Spirit. There's no indication in either John chapter 5 or John chapter 9 that there was faith on the part of the individual that was healed. There are some people that are not going to be healed on their own faith. That's not a slam against them. 
And the potential is there for them to learn the word and exercise their faith to receive their healing. But there are some times in some situation, as we have record of in these few examples that we've given, and there are some others, but these are the major ones, that God will initiate healing on his own. I fully believe that God wants everybody healed every time we come together. And that's just a small part of the way that God operates because it's not just in church services or that people are healed. Most of the healings that took place in the book of Acts took place out in the street, not behind the closed doors of the church. So we know, well, let's talk a little bit about what we know. We know that God wants healing for everybody. That's why Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease on the cross. We know that God meets our faith to bring about healing from sickness and disease. And we know that the Holy Ghost will move on occasion to bring about healing and health when an individual doesn't even reach out in faith to receive. I believe we're coming into a day where everybody will be healed. Now by that, I don't necessarily mean every sick person in America will be, be brought unto healing. But I do mean that anybody that comes to Jesus to receive healing will receive. And I also believe that there are other times where the Holy Ghost will manifest himself. Even as we see in the scripture. To bring about healing for those that either don't know or can't stand alone in such a way to receive on their own. I believe that God wants to glorify his son Jesus every time we're together. The Bible is really clear that people rejoiced and glorified Jesus after they were healed, not while they were sick. I believe that's what our year of Jubilee is about. We read in Matthew chapter 9 how that Jesus cast the devil out of somebody that was deaf and dumb and they received their healing their hearing and they were able to speak you remember what the people said it's never been like this not in the history of the world I believe that's the kind of thing that God's going to do just before Jesus comes to get us
I want you to know something. I am praying for every one of you to be healed. And I don't even know that many of you would need healing. But I've been prompted by the Holy Ghost to begin to pray for people to be healed, whether I knew they were sick or not. I believe we're going to have some days, some services, where the healing power of God swoops into this room. And brings about healing for those that are exercising their faith to receive. But will also result in manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. To bring about healing to those that either don't know. Or don't know as they should. Or for some reason are hindered from receiving on their own faith. You remember the man that brought his son to Jesus? And Jesus was away on the trans mountain of transfiguration. He brought his son who had some kind of leprosy or uh, some kind of epilepsy condition. He would have these fits. And the devil would try to destroy his life by throwing him into the water or into the fire. But Jesus wasn't there and the disciples tried casting the devil out of him. And they had been commissioned by Jesus with authority over demon spirits. And so they tried to help the man and they couldn't. They couldn't cast the devil out of this guy. The man said to Jesus in conveying what had happened, he told Jesus that if, was, if Jesus was able to do anything, have compassion on him and heal his son. Jesus turned it right back on him. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. You remember the man's answer? He answered and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't consider that to be a, a very strong statement of faith. That would be like the man saying, I'm trying to believe. I hope that's good enough. The good news is it was. If Jesus, who told us that we would do the same works that he did and even greater works because he went to the Father. If Jesus was able to take, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And to cast the devil out of the boy as a result of that, successfully delivering his son, then I believe there's a lot of ground for God to work with us. We magnify where Jesus talked about people that had great faith. And I think that's appropriate. I think we need to be striving forward, growing in faith in every way. But I think we need to recognize, too, that there are a lot of people that, don't, that can't do it on their own. They're going to need our help. And Jesus gives this pattern of where he helped people in the same type of situation. So when we make our confession, 
This is our year of Jubilee. This is what this means. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. That's what this means. Where the Holy Ghost will initiate things for people that might not be able to do it and take care of it and receive on their own. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. I'm looking for God to do some miraculous things. I believe he's got a, an environment and an atmosphere in this church where he can do them. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We see your desire and your mercy to minister healing. We see in the ministry of Jesus that everybody was healed that came to him to receive. We see where people were healed on their own faith. We see where people were healed by the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Now, Father, you wouldn't have left us that record if you hadn't wanted, us to in, wanted it to inspire us to believe. To believe that you respond to everybody that reaches out in faith. but to believe that you would respond to people that need a manifestation of the Spirit to manifest their healing in their bodies. Father, I pray, as you know I've been praying for a long time, for a wave of your healing mercy to sweep through our church through the lives and the bodies of every person that claims to be a part of this church heal us all Father no one left out but everybody restored to health. The Holy Spirit, we don't have a lot of experience with manifestations of healing, mercy, mercy gifts of healing, working of miracles, and so forth. So you're going to have to teach us what to do. We see that there are different ways that Jesus ministered to people he made clay of the spittle for this man, blind man in John chapter 9. There are other times where Jesus spit on people and touched their tongue. 
On one occasion, he spit on a blind man's eyes, and he came again seeing. So we recognize that there are different ways. And we're open to doing whatever you need us to do. But we need, just simply need you to show us so that we can operate according to your plan and purpose. This is our year of Jubilee, Father. This is the year for you to do exactly those things and even greater things than we know to ask or to think. Jesus, you said that the works that you did we will do also. And even greater works than these shall we do because you went to the Father. We claim that promise. We declare that it shall be even as you've told us. Father, we commit to you to glorify you and to glorify the name of Jesus in everything that's done. We won't take any of the glory for ourselves. It'll be easy enough for everybody to see that we didn't know what we were doing other than just following you. And that suffices us. So, Father, by faith, we call our church healed. By faith, we call ourselves restored to divine health. By faith, we declare that Jesus is our healer. So, Father, it's up to you now. We're not going to try to conjure something up and try to make, in, make happen in the flesh what only you can bring about in the spirit. That you know our heart. So thank you, Father, by faith that our church is healed in Jesus' name. Say it with me. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Folks, we've got some exciting things coming up. This year is going to be an adventure in a lot of ways. We're going to see God do some things that we expect him to do, but we're going to see him do some things that we don't even know to expect either. Amen. God bless you, folks. We love you. We're praying for you.